Welcome to the Litigation Psychology Podcast, presented by Courtroom Sciences, a podcast for the defense bar about the intersection of science and litigation. Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. This is Dr. Bill Kanaski, and today's podcast is actually more of a special edition addressing the coronavirus issue, more specifically addressing the issue of corporate communication with their both their employees and their clients. Uh, I don't think I'm the only one, but I've been bombarded with emails from every hotel chain, every airline, uh, a ton of a ton of law firms. And the language in these emails is very interesting. And this has now gone on to, to TV. You see a lot of commercials going on with um, corporate people sending their messaging to their clients, mostly trying to calm them down. But again, the language with some of these messages, uh, I think, is uh, very interesting and maybe maybe leaving clients vulnerable and they don't even know it. So today's guest is uh, Mr. Sean Murphy. Sean works with me at Courtroom Sciences. He heads up our crisis communication uh, division at Courtroom Sciences, and um, he's got some interesting input on this topic. Uh, Sean, are you there? Hi, Bill. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I wish it was under better terms, um, but um, as you heard in the introduction, uh, corporations are really doing everything they can to get the message out, get it out uh, repeatedly. Uh, I'm pretty sure you've been bombarded with a lot of these uh, emails and I've seen the the commercials. Um, and let's not get specific yet, but what is your what is your general reaction to some of the messages that you're hearing from corporate America? Uh, sure. I, I think, first of all, um, we have to give people some credit because this really is a once in a century kind of an event. And so you can expect that uh, people might struggle to find their voice in communicating about it. And so at least initially you saw, like you said, literally hundreds of emails uh, come in uh, from companies and with this primary message that the health and safety of their customers and their employees was their top priority. And we were looking at those and, and thinking this really could be problematic in the future because, you know, Obviously, at the beginning of a crisis like this, people are trying to, you know, convey a sense of caring and uh, obviously very authentic in this case. But in their zeal to do that, did they go overboard? Are they making commitments that, frankly, uh, they shouldn't be making and they're not equipped to make? Yeah, I, I've been um, I haven't been shocked by the language, but it appears that none of these messages went through the legal department. Perhaps they only went through the marketing and or PR uh, departments. But but yeah, every single one of these messages, well, they, they all look like a carbon copy of each other at this point. But I think the first sentence, if not the second, goes right into this, you know, your safety is our top priority. Your health is our, our, our top priority it makes you wonder if the reptile plaintiff attorneys are just salivating over these messages for future litigation. Well, I think that's the issue. I think there's a problem that um, you're making a commitment and your conduct is going to be held to that standard. You know, there are two aspects about it, really. One is, really, is it effective communications? Because, or does it 
just start to sound like something redundant that someone else said. So, you know, we get these messages, we're getting them from banks, we're getting them from cell phone companies, getting from hotels and airlines, as you said. Uh, but is it really even the right message? Is it really what people want or need to hear? You know, if we're all in some sort of state of lockdown, I want to know from my bank, what's the access to my money? Uh, yeah. Or maybe I've had a, a refinance in process for my home. What's going to happen with that? These are the questions that customers have. And there's, there's really no need for this hyperbole at the top of ensuring people's health and safety if that's not, particularly if that's not your business. Well, yeah, you know, we deal with this, you know, with the Plamus bar all the time with the uh, reptile tactics. And I, I think a lot of these messages are, are certainly going to be used against these companies uh, for using that language and probably using it repeatedly as this crisis develops. I, I've noticed now getting, you know, wave after wave of these uh, emails and then seeing upgraded versions of, of these commercials with all of the the messaging. And, and yeah, I, I think this whole safety is the top priority thing is probably instinctually what these companies want to say. But the, the fact of the matter is, and, and what we do in our witness training program to, to train witnesses to go up against, you know, reptile plaintiff attorneys is that safety has never been the top priority <laughs> of, of, of any company, even a hospital. It's something that I think the marketing departments have certainly come up with. Um, the, it makes the legal people nuts. But on some of these cases I work on, particularly with internal documents, um, em employee handbooks, policies and procedures, they've plastered this safety first message, uh, even before coronavirus, safety first message all over their in internal uh, training documents, especially. And then uh, all you have to do is, you know, look at any billboard on your local uh, highway from the local hospital system, and they have a plastic all over their billboards and all over the side of their of, of, of their buildings. As you see some of this uh, messaging come out, what do you think is is a more, maybe not just a more useful type of message, but, and not to use the worm safety, but I guess a, a safer message uh, from a litigation standpoint? Really, it's as simple as telling people that you want to update them on what you're doing in response to the novel coronavirus crisis. And that's what people really want. They want straightforward information that is credible, uh, that where they can understand how it affects them. And so that's what people are really looking for. It's, it's not this, uh, and the act itself of communicating that information is caring. So there really isn't a lot of need to lead with that because, the, because you actually are showing care by sharing the information people need with them. And that's really a critical point. You don't have to beat people over the head with that message when, when your conduct itself, um, you know, is, is supporting that. No, that's a that that's a that's a really good point. And you know, some of these uh, messages I've seen typically in an email. Actually, it's all over LinkedIn. They're they're posting it on LinkedIn, uh, posting it oh. online, and it. It, it, do you see this continuing or do you think corporate America is going to f 
figure this out maybe a month down the road that, you know, hey, maybe some of these messages we sent uh, at the start, maybe they weren't such a good idea. Well, I mean, you start, you already see litigation starting. I mean, the, today in the Wall Street Journal, you see, and, and these aren't directly related, but, you know, it, it, it's about the arc of a crisis. And so in the beginning, you know, people kind of feel this sense of unity. People want to communicate. They want to make sure that uh, they're doing the right things. And then you start to see uh, people uh, more soberly reacting to the crisis. So in today's Wall Street Journal, for example, you see that uh, there are students suing the universities because the online experience is not what they paid for. I saw that. And, yes. And so there are, you know, you're already starting to see that, um, you know, people are, are beginning to evaluate the effect of, of this crisis on them and the promises that have been made to them and, and uh, starting to take action. So, um, you know, in this middle phase where people are, are still kind of confused and they still don't know how long this is going to endure and exactly what's going to happen next, um, they really should be planning so they don't make the same mistake again. And so scenario planning in these particular instances is critical because they need to think through the what ifs. Um, you know, what if it's a kind of a, a, a partial restart? What does that look like? And how do I get uh, my company geared up again? How do I act in a way that um, makes people productive, but also, you know, follows the guidelines that are going to be issued. And so those are the kinds of things that people can do in, in practicality right now um, that will help them think through and, and, and frankly be more sober in the commitments that they make when things start to transition back to, you know, some form of normal. Yeah. And I, I tell you what, and I'm not going to mention any names of corporations, but, you know, some of these emails I get, or, or especially on LinkedIn, I've seen, I've seen some language that went beyond the whole, you know, safety and health is our, is our top priority to using words like ensuring your safety or guaranteeing your safety and health. Um, or we, we wanted, you know, we're going to do everything we can um, to ensure safety and health. Um, I'm assuming, uh, given your expertise, you'd probably advise clients to not use such extreme, I mean, safety and health are bad enough, but you start using words like insure and guarantee and everything. I think those are kind of the, the worst of the worst, right? Well, I think that people use that kind of language at their own peril. Um, the opportunity really for them is to distinguish themselves and show some leadership uh, by sharing information that's useful. And this kind of hyperbole, you know, it, it doesn't, always have the effect that people think that it does because um, it's, it's not information, it's, it's, it's positioning. And so this really is an opportunity to stand out by having a lot of clarity in your communications about what it is you're actually doing and what it is you're planning to do. And you know, as part of that, you can um, reiterate your commitment to following guidelines. You can, you, you can talk about the responsible actions you're taking uh, in terms of listening to the authorities on this matter. These are the kinds of things, these are the ways that you can weave that into your communication. But as I said before, the very act of communicating itself it demonstrates caring. I totally agree. I want to talk a little bit about the role of emotion in, in messaging. Many of the challenges I have professionally are dealing with emotional witnesses 
that end up going into a fight or flight response pattern. We call this amygdala hijack in, in psychology, and we've published papers on it. We do webinars on it, and we have a training system to prevent witnesses from responding emotionally because inevitably uh, something harmful is going to come out of their mouth. How much do you think in your experience that some of these faulty messages are due to uh, corporate executives panicking and becoming emotional? Because some of these messages, just they aren't even logical. Well, I mean, there's two parts to that. Uh, one is that, you know, you're, you're talking about a lot of consumer product marketing companies uh, who are sending or, you know, or providing a service. And they're the ones who are sending out all these pretty aggressive communications. And, you know, they're, they're accustomed to communicating from or using emotion. They want people to act, you know, as they're trying to trigger people and, and get them to associate with their brand or product. So first of all, it's kind of a, a habit with them to try to emotionally connect with people, right? Yeah. Um, but here you have a crisis. So then the question becomes, how do, how do I emotionally connect with people appropriately in this kind of situation? But the second thing is that it's unprecedented. And so I think you do see leaders who are struggling to find their voice. How do you reassure people without going too far when you don't even know yourself what the future really holds? When things are unclear, how can you have clarity? And so that's why it's really important for them to talk about what they actually know and what they actually can um, quantify right now but then to be prepared to plan for the various different things that could occur so that they know more soberly what they might say when it does occur and they don't have to have this, this kind of emotional reaction. They are in control of delivering the information. So it becomes yeah. a, a, a matter of speaking clearly and factually. And in this type of a crisis, um, that forms its own kind of connection because that's what people need most credible information and from sources that they can rely on. And, and that's really the message that needs to get through to, to these companies. Now, now, Sean, we all, we all know that you cannot unring a bell. You can't put toothpaste back in a tube. However, um, if, if, if some of these companies want to wake up, calm down and become more logical and effective in their messaging, how do you, I guess, how do you un undo the first wave if a company did come out with more of an emotional message and maybe said some things or guaranteed some things that they shouldn't have? Um, is it possible to make adjustments going forward and not look hypocritical? Well, it's important, too, because I think when you look at this kind of a situation, it's what did I do once I, once I knew, you know, once I figured it out, then what actions did I take? And so... You know, I don't know that people will get a pass for that first wave, but they may be more likely to get a pass for the first wave if the communications going forward adopt a different tone. That different tone is simply we want to update you on what it is that you know we're doing in response to this crisis, and and then you know listing out that information and 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 being sure to be very clear and factual about it. So it's it's really just dropping it. We we most critical. And then uh, being very responsible in the information that you're sharing, being sure that it's accurate. And you can do things that help people, provide them with 
links to uh, other credible resources that give good guidelines on how to protect health and safety. The, this isn't the issue. The issue isn't demonstrating caring. The issue isn't helping people understand how they can be uh, stay healthy or be safer. It's not being responsible for it, not making yourself, uh, you know, the, the, the party who is, who is assuming responsibility for it. It's sharing useful information. And there's a big difference there. I mean, some people may think it's a nuance, but you know, I think they'll find out it's a critical difference if they're being held to the standard of, well, you said that this was your top priority, so therefore you you did take responsibility. Yeah, and I, Sean, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but I see this problem getting worse before it gets better, and here's why. I remember back, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in, well before coronavirus, but um, at least a decade ago, um, um, particularly when 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 healthcare started to become such a competitive bloodbath, part of the marketing uh, to the general public was, hey, you know, come to our hospital because we're the safest. We put patient safety first. And that's been a huge part of the healthcare uh, marketing plan, which the plaintiff bar has totally taken advantage of, uh, particularly when they're, you know, hitting print screen on the hospital website and bringing that to a deposition to stick in front of the corporate rep's face. When the country starts to reopen, for example, you don't think Hilton and Marriott are going to go at it? I mean, just blow for blow on corporate messaging, trying to get people back in their hotels how I, I think they're going to go right to this health and just like the hospitals did. I think the hotel chains are going to, and same thing with airlines, you know, fly our airline because we're the healthiest, we're the safest or come to our hotel. We're the healthiest and the safest. So I see as this coronavirus problem starts to dissipate and we start getting back to, well, it's going to be a new normal, but relatively speaking back to normal, do you see some of these competitors trying to outduel each other with their marketing plan and maybe stepping on a landmine by doing that? Well, they're going to have to ask themselves, um, what do you have to, that backs that up? You know, the, the key questions around that kind of marketing would be, how do you support a claim like that, um, even in the short term? You know, if you're in the hotel business, you know, there's all this talk now, hotels and and office buildings about deep cleanings. Well, how frequently do you have to do that in order to be the safest or the healthiest, you know? So these are the kinds of questions, the honest questions they're gonna to have to ask themselves. And there is another, um, there's another way to do it. And so that's helping people understand uh, how, to, how to act responsibly as the situation evolves, um, helping people with that. You know, you see, um, Everyone trying, or a lot of companies trying to link their products to, to messages like safety. Well, how about, and you see it even with cell phone providers. And so how about the entertainment value of your phone when you're in lockdown? Why, why not talk about things like that too? Um, because right now people, you know, they're looking for reliable information, but they're also looking for ways to spend their time productively. And as we move out of this, then they want information about how can I act most responsibly and who can I trust to uh, be doing business with that also is going to be act, acting responsibly? And, you know, what are the sources of information that establish those standards? 
one of the credible sources of information. So, you know, companies, again, they're going to have to be very careful not to take that bait because they're going to have to substantiate it. Yeah. And I mean, let's be quite clear. Um, hotel rooms are disgusting. <laughs> they always have been. Uh, public transportation, disgusting. Uh, cat, you know, in the inside of a cab. Um, I, I, I do see this problem getting worse before it gets better, unfortunately. And I do think that that, that leads to, to probably more litigation in the future. Uh, what, what consultation um, generally do you have with the messaging, we're talking about messaging to clients and the general public. What's the difference between that external communication and maybe what you you want to communicate um, to your employees uh, internally? Right. So with employees, you know, uh, their lives have been upended by this, and companies are asking them to take extraordinary sacrifices, or they've taken a big hit. So. You know, you see a lot of employers either asking for pay cuts or insisting upon pay cuts, uh, furloughing people, laying people off, and some instances, shuttering, you know, whole chains and things like that and, and flat out firing people. And so the first set of communications really um, had to be as straightforward as possible in terms of, of why the company was taking these actions. And messaging really needed to be about the long-term viability of the organization and trying to ensure that so that people would have jobs to come back to as the economy rebounded or a company to come back to. Now we're entering a different phase. And so, you know, there was a lot of hurry in terms of getting out the door and, uh, you know, maybe the shutdown procedures were not quite as smooth as people would have hoped. And so need to, Therefore, make sure that how you turn things back on is a lot more orderly. And so the things that you need to be communicating with employees or preparing to communicate, again, is around these scenarios. You know, what are the ways in which we may be returning to some sort of normal? What's that going to look like? And then in those scenarios, what would I communicate to my employees? And what are the expectations in terms of our conduct and, and theirs um, so that uh, as we come out of this, we're all acting as responsibly as we can, given the guidance uh, that we're being given from the government and the health experts. And so, you know, you, you're reading today about what's happening in China and how they're starting to allow uh, employees to come back on site. And so companies need to be studying that and seeing what it is they're saying, those companies are saying and doing and what kinds of scenarios are actually starting to pop up and making those kinds of preparation. But really, it, every, what, what everyone agrees to is this, that normal is not going to look the same for some period of time. So the critical part of the communications is what do you expect of people um, as you begin to turn things back on? What, what needs to change in terms of their behavior? What does social distancing mean in an office if you're allowed to return, um, what kinds of standards and uh, of conduct are you setting for people as things start to return? So that's the kind of planning that should be done, be done now. Well, yeah, because I think employment litigation is going to be through the roof. I mean, <laughs> you, you got a lot of uh, 
you got a, you got a lot of pissed off people out there, Sean. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, the, the way that messaging is handled internally needs to be handled with, with care. Um, so That's true. And I, I think that um, <laughs> what, you, what you're seeing is leaders who are being tested and um, you know, the old adage about how, you know, crisis reveals character. And so, you know, employees have learned a lot about the leadership of their companies and how they react and respond in a crisis. Um, it's been so pervasive, you know, and, and they'll compare. You know, obviously, they know what's happened to their families and friends. And so how are these things handled? And what kinds of information were people given? And how are people treated um, uh, during this first process? And then... You know, the only way to compensate for that, if it was not handled as well as it could have been, is how you how you move in the next phase. And so that's why, you know, companies, to be fair, um, who weren't prepared for this kind of thing, you know, had to react and respond and, and therefore may have made mistakes. But now, right now, they have plenty of time to, to plan and prepare. And so if they're not using this time for that good purpose, then it's it's to their own. Um, it's, it will be a problem for them because um, they're going to need to reconnect with their employees, who certainly feel, from one degree to another, a certain level of disconnection because of what's occurred. That's a really good point. Um, to finish up here and kind of wrap up, tell us. Um, so, being a crisis communication consultant. Um, what types of services do you offer and what is kind of the typical way clients get a hold of you and, and what are some of the things that, that you think that you're most um, effective at and can, can really help uh, corporations with, with, with some of these issues? Right. Particularly in this kind of a situation, um, well, in, the, in the first phase of this crisis, we were helping companies with, those very communications to customers and employees and helping them, first of all, avoid the reptile trap of um, over-promising and making health and safety their top priority. But, you know, we saw a lot of other things too, you know, people um, poised to make other kinds of mistakes uh, in terms of how they were communicating. And uh, so we were able to help them clarify those communications and really give people useful information and then, uh, by doing so, help them maintain a connection with their important stakeholders. Now is, is the phase where and what we typically work with companies to do is that very scenario plan, planning. Uh, what is likely to happen in terms of things turning back on and how do we prepare to communicate that to the, to the employees who we, we will need to rely on and we want to come back and you know, to be very productive and to feeling good about the company. What are those scenarios? We, you know, we think them through with the client. And we write them down and then we prepare the materials uh, to communicate that um, so that they're ready to go this time and they're not reacting and responding. And pretty much every scenario can be thought through. All we need to do is keep monitoring what the health authorities are saying and look at countries that are beginning to return to productivity, how they're planning it. And and follow along and just be ready to do that. The second thing is, you know, help bolstering leadership. As I said, a lot of leaders uh, have struggled to find their voice in this crisis because it is 
a once in a lifetime event. They've been tested. And so it's, it's really working with leaders to help really refine their message and the, and the way that they deliver it so that they distinguish themselves. Um, the irony of a crisis is that if you handle it well, people perceive that you know you had their interests in mind and that you uh, really did work very hard to share that useful information and that you were trying to do the right thing at all times, then you tend to burnish your image. Uh, and obviously the reverse is true. If a company is not taking care to uh, really communicate with its important stakeholders information that is useful to them, for them to understand what the impacts of the company's decisions are on them, um, then they will suffer. And maybe not immediately, but say down the line. Um, the future of employees being feeling disenfranchised and and as their options start to appear after this crisis, you know, how loyal will they be to the companies that maybe they didn't feel the companies were loyal to them? All right. Uh, last question. So we were talking mostly on this podcast about uh, the messaging and correspondence uh, from corporations, both internally and externally. What happens and what he suggests uh, when there is an actual crisis, meaning um, I was reading uh, the other day, I know that uh, 3M has been in some hot water <laughs> being accused of, uh, um, you know, selling masks uh, to places that they shouldn't be. I think there's another article I read that some different mask company was accused of uh, jacking up their their prices. Um, so what do you suggest corporations do when, when something bad does happen and maybe um, a certain company or, or entity uh, is accused of doing something inappropriate, uh, particularly in this type of crisis? What are, what are some of the main things they need to be thinking about before they, before they respond publicly? Well, they need to uh, get on the record exactly what, you know, the truth of the situation is if, if, if what's, what's being said is wrong, because, you know, obviously that can leave a very, very deep impression um, if, if you're seen to be profiteering off of a crisis. And so, um, first of all, they need to be careful in their conduct that they're not doing that. Secondly, if they're, if they're wrongfully accused of doing it, they need to clarify that record immediately. Um, if there is an explanation for what's going on, maybe materials costs have gone up, whatever it may be, they need to make they need to help people understand what's going on. Because here's what you're really seeing that's successful in terms of what companies are communicating in this phase of crisis is the more altruistic things that they are doing in order to help. And so that message is is playing very well because people. Uh, feel that something can be done and that maybe they're part of it because they're part of the organization that is doing things. So, you know, on the positive side, you know, we talked about talked about hotels, but a lot of them have donated, you know, their food, food pantries and done things like that. And so these are the messages that are really resonating in a positive way. Well, that's excellent. Great stuff. Well, Sean, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, don't be shocked if we're doing a part two of this in the very near future. Uh, my pleasure, and thank you for having me on, Bill. I look forward to talking with you again. No problem. Thank you to our audience members. This is the conclusion of this version, special edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. If you need crisis communication consultation, 
uh, Sean Murphy can be found. Uh, Sean, your, your uh, email address is uh, smurphy at courtroomsciences.com, correct? Yes, it is. All right. Feel free to reach out. I'm at Bill or B. Kanaski at courtroomsciences.com if uh, litigation uh, issues arise. Uh, thank you, everybody, for attending, and we will see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Litigation Psychology Podcast, presented by CSI. For more information, visit courtroomsciences.com.